me invite you now to grab a Bible. Um, try to find Jonah real quick, and I'll get there in just a minute. Let me uh, underscore two things that Jonathan said. One has to do with this um, grief share program that is now being headed up by Brian Racher. Um, Brian is a is a prince of a man and uh, has his own lost his wife about three years ago, I think. Um, so has dealt with his own grief. And this thing that's happening Thursday night, I hope that you'll take a look at that uh, surviving the holidays because we know that, that those are the the hardest times. So that's that's there for you uh, if you've got. Um, still dealing with grief of loss, be a part on, on Thursday night. The other thing has to do with um, Grace Evan. One of the uniquenesses of Grace Evan, at least in my mind, it's unique, is the way that um, Grace Evan is governed. I don't know of another church that's governed quite like Grace Evan. We are uh, governed by a plurality of eldership. There's, there's 15 elders, those men serve three year terms. And um, every year, five of them rotate off. And they're off for a year and can be renominated and reelected, but not necessarily. But the point is that the, uh, the electorate and the nominating committee <laughs> is you. Uh, I, there is no, there is no uh, input that I have to the nominees. I don't nominate, nor do I vote. Um, if there are going to be any nominees, you will have to nominate them. And so you have a month, actually a little bit less now because it's the seventh, but you have a month to nominate men that you feel qualify for the office of elder. The qualifications can be found in the New Testament in a couple of places, Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. So if you want to take a look at those, read those passages, before you nominate, that'd be great and even advisable. But now is the time, folks. Now is the time to nominate men for the office of elder. You have a month to do so. If you need a card, I've got some up here. They're pretty much all over the church, and please take advantage. You choose the men who lead us. I do not. You do that. And um, that's a a job uh, that has been done by God's richest kindness in a a very spirit-filled way, and we want to see that continue. Now, um, you follow as I read. I'm going to read a whole chapter, but it's only 10 verses. Um, You follow as I read Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and it reads like this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and it and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, 
And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, You do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the the word of our God, it endures forever. Um, guys, we uh, close up a, a series this morning, uh, the end of the, our series on Jonah. And um, as we do that, I wanted to try and explain something that seems to be a kind of a, um, a, a problematic uh, ending to the book. People wonder about um, why this ends like this. It, it, it ends with somewhat of a thud. Um, And there seems to be very little, if any, resolution uh, to the book. We just, God asked him a question, it's over. And so what I want to try to do is, as we begin, uh, is to clarify just just what's going on. And I I hope it'll be more enjoyable for you. That is the the book. Gang, um, this book, the book of Jonah, was originally written as a rebuke to Israel. Um, you see, Jonah's response to the saving of Gentiles was not unique to Jonah. Most every person in Israel felt the same way about saving Gentiles as, as Jonah did. Whereas God had intended it to work like this. That is, he's going to create this nation, Israel, and Israel is going to be a channel through which he's going to pour his blessings to the world. That's the way it was supposed to be. Um, Israel ruined that by seeing herself not as a channel but as a repository of all his blessings. All of those blessings that he pours out, they're supposed to come to us and to be hoarded, not shared uh, with, with them, those Gentiles. So, guys, when you see the book end on such a sour note, that was by design because it was a message to Israel. This is what you're doing, Israel. Um, gang, Jonah is using his own failings to illustrate Israel's failings. And and I might add this too, guys. You understand who tells this story. Jonah tells this story. Jonah tells this story about himself. And I would suggest to you, it's only a man who understands grace who can talk this way about about his failings. Those who do not understand grace do not want anybody else to see just how inconsistent they are. No, no. We got way too much to lose. We got to hide. We've got to hide behind this facade of being a good Christian. 
We want people to think of us as a good Christian. So we don't want them to see our failings. It is a man who understands grace who can tell you just how miserably he failed to illustrate Israel's failure. She was hoarding blessings that were intended to be shared with the Gentile world. Now, um, even with that said, this performance on the part of Jonah is, it leaves you almost speechless. Um, one would think that a prophet would be thrilled to hear that a whole city had repented of their sin and, and come to faith in Yahweh. No contraire, not, not, not Jonah. In fact, he says to us, I, I am angry. And did you, did you notice it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. One commentary uh, used some rather unacceptable language saying that he was saying, I'm darn angry. Gang, this is not a prophet who is pouting. This is a prophet who is in rage. He's throwing a temper tantrum. And you know how ugly those are to, to watch in children. But this is, a, this is a man who supposedly knows a whole lot about God. Why is he so upset? Um, well, I can think of a couple of three reasons. He gives us the main one, but let me just suggest these things that might have been going through, through his head. First of all, um, just think of the reaction of his countrymen once he gets back to his homeland, having heard that Nineveh has now invested in Yahweh. Um, you know, wait a minute. Nineveh is our enemy. And we hate him, hate Nineveh as much as you did, Jonah. And now you're telling us that they're converted? They'll never listen to another word I have to say. Or conversely, let's just say God had destroyed Nineveh. Well, under those circumstances, Jonah would have returned home as a conquering hero. But not now. You see... Even a converted Nineveh is still an enemy of Israel's. And so Jonah sees his whole prophetic ministry washed up. But the real reason that he's so upset, he gives you. He, gives, he, he specifies it in verse 2. Look at it. Lord, uh, is this not what I said when I was still in my own country? I mean, this is, what I, I, this is why I fled to Tarshish. Because I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. <laughs> Does that language ring a bell? It ought to, guys. It's, um, it's taken from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. In terms of Old Testament um, uh, input that we get about the nature and the character of God, the biggest piece, uh, a succinct piece of self-revelation on the part of God is found in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, and that's what he's quoting. You want to know what I'm like, he says to Moses at, uh, on Mount Sinai, here's what I'm like. And Jonah uses that piece of self-disclosure on the part of God 
and reminds God of who he is. Look what he is. Oh, he's, um, he's uh, gracious and, uh, you know, merciful and slow to anger. And I knew you were like that. It's not that that I find so distasteful. Oh, no, I glory in those attributes. The thing that I don't get is that you're given that kind of response to Gentiles. You know, those people who don't deserve it. Those are bad people. Israel, you know, Israel's Israel's good people. You shouldn't be gracious and merciful and long-suffering and slow. Not with them. Why? Those people, those people don't deserve any of that. You know, like, like we did. You see, guys, guys um, Jonah is not offended by what he knows to be true about God. He just, don't, he just doesn't want those people to have access to that. So it's not so much his person that offends him, it's his work, it's his will that he doesn't like. If I could just quickly pause as an aside and apply that tell me what is it about God's ways that you don't like what is it about his work and his will that just doesn't sit well with you maybe it's the it's the husband he gave you or maybe the life that he gave you or perhaps you're not really pleased with where he put you or the body he gave you. Are, are, are you feeling a little Jonah-like at the moment? Oh, there's more. Go back to Jonah. No matter how God's ways might offend Jonah or Israel, God will run all the risks that must be run to be merciful to Nineveh. You know, gang, in, in my twisted and perverted little brain, the, the mental image that came to mind when I thought about that is that picture in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, you know the parable of the prodigal son and the prodigal goes off to the faraway country and eats pig slop and then he decides to come back home and the father's waiting for him to come home. And uh, so he's up on the balcony of the second floor and he's looking down the road and, and off in the distance he sees, could it, could, it, could it possibly be? Yes, it's my son who's returning home. And so he runs down the stairs and he picks up his skirts and, and, and he all just kind of waddles down the street. You know, he's running to his son and his bony knees and he's not very coordinated any longer because he's an older man. And, and, and there's Israel standing on the side of the road saying, he shouldn't be behaving like that. I mean, that's... Fathers, fathers shouldn't act like that. No, that's not the way fathers act. 
Israel is still angry over how God behaves because Israel still believes that Gentiles should have never been brought in to share the same blessings of all of those good people. Guys, Jonah felt he was more qualified to advance the glory of God than God was himself. So does Israel. Um, God's just not supposed to behave like this. Jonah, think about this. Jonah, who had received great mercy while in a fish belly, wants to choose who God saves. I mean, (laughs) says Jonah and Israel, to save me. (laughs) Well, I mean, I can sure see why God would do that. I mean, God got such a treasure when he got me. But not them. I mean, those people don't deserve delivering like I do or like I did. You you know, go back to that parable of the prodigal son. There's another main character, and it's called the elder brother. And you remember how the elder brother responded to the ways of his father? I mean, he kind of meets his dad outside, and he says, I mean, what the heck are you throwing a party for him for? I mean, if there's any party going to be thrown around here, it ought to be for people like me. Not like him. I mean, good people get parties, not bad people. It's good people that you ought to be rounding up, not bad people like him. You know, how gracious of God to not dispose of Jonah right on the spot when he's over here acting like such a tantrum-throwing child. But you see, God is not like us. And that's the point of the book. You see, He is what Jonah accused him of being. He's forgiving of the undeserving. And we had all best be glad that he is not like us. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I see it more times than I know how to enumerate. Why is it that we find it so hard to forgive someone who has offended us? I'll tell you why. We've all got a bit of Jonah in us. You see, on a human level, (laughs) I mean, people ought to forgive somebody like me. But me forgive you? After what you've done? Why do we find granting forgiveness so difficult when in a belly of a whale we found forgiveness? Now, guys, while you're chewing on that, let me, let me offer you a suggestion about these last seven verses of the, of the book, verses 5 through 11. I, I would suggest to you that verses 5 through 11 should be read after verse 9 of chapter 3. Um, verse 9 of 3. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city. Um, What you get in verses 5 through 11 is a flashback. The the Hebrew verb could be translated accurately something like this. Jonah had gone out of the city. So it takes place, this event about the, you know, the worm and the plant, all that. It takes place before the completion of the 40 days. Now, wherever you decide to put it or place these seven verses, the message of these last seven verses centers upon a plant. It was a plant appointed by God. Did you notice that? It was an appointed plant. And by the way, did you notice um, in, in verse seven that the worm, oh, that was appointed too. It was an appointed worm. And then did you notice in verse 8 that the the scorching east wind, that was appointed too. So the plant, the worm, and the wind, they were all appointed. Because you see, plants, worms, and winds, they all obey God. They all do exactly what God tells them to do. There's only one figure in this whole story that doesn't do what God tells him to do. No, that would be Jonah. That would be man. The only rebel in the story is man. He's the only one that says no to God. God very kindly gives him a roof so that he can wait out the 40 days, you know, a little shade. Because without it, he would suffer from heat stroke. That's what he seems to imply in verse 8. But the punchline of this whole vignette about the plant, the punchline is found in verses 19 and 11. Um, Verse 10, the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah had become quite attached to a plant. 
And he's angry when that plant is taken away. And he wants to die again, second time in, this, in one chapter. But God points out in this closing part of the story that Jonah, you have become quite attached to a plant and you had pity on a plant. Um, you had compassion on a plant. A plan in which you made no investment, but you pitied it. You see, Jonah, if, if, if you pity a plant, ought I not to pity 120,000 people? You see, Jonah, you, you grieve over a plant. You're very concerned about that plant. Um, you have compassion on a plant. Can you possibly imagine the grief that I might have, says God, over 120,000 perishing souls? Jonah, do you begrudge my generosity? Folks, there is a, there's a whole parable in the New Testament about people begrudging God's generosity. It's in Matthew 20. Remember the parable about the guy who went out and hired people at 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. and noon and 3 o'clock and then at the end of the day when they were paying them all, the, the people who worked the whole day begrudged that God was so generous to those who had only worked one day. Because you see, we who worked all day, we earned better than that. And so for you to distribute that generosity like that is not something that I can, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't sit well with me. Because I earned this, and they didn't. So, Jonah, you care about, I mean, you care about that plant. I mean, Jonah, you care about some things. But you just don't care about the things that I care about. Jonah, you care about some things. But you don't happen to care about the things that I care about. Oh, Jonah, you're very upset and, and, and all hot and bothered about politics. But you don't care about discipleship. Oh, Jonah, you care a great deal about the economy. But you don't care much about evangelism. Oh, Jonah, you care about some things. but they're just not the things that I care about. I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, but the last time I checked on the Great Commission, there's nothing said in there about politics and the economy. 
You see, ladies and gentlemen, this story is about us. And it's a story that paves the way for the coming of Christ. Well, how do you, how do you, how so there, Dr. Young? Well, guys, you know that chapter that I've alluded to already twice. It's Luke 15 where the parable of the prodigal son is found. That's Luke 15. You do know that in that same parable, there are two other parables. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. You know that. So you've got three parables in the same chapter. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. It has prompted some to say that Luke 15 is the lost and found department of the New Testament. A lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. Isn't that cute? They're, gr- they're grand parables, and we, we love the parable of the prodigal son. But have you ever noticed? In, in, in fact, folks, understanding those three parables is contingent upon you understanding verses 1 and 2. Luke 15 starts out this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Did you notice what this guy's doing? He's having lunch with bad people. I mean, religion is not for bad people. It's for good people. Like us. Like us Pharisees. Yeah. I mean, God is, God is uh, wise to forgive somebody like me. But, but, I mean, do you think he, he could possibly be eating and, and fellowshipping with, with sinners? Tax collectors? No, it's not supposed to operate like that. I mean, good people are supposed to get, you know, in God's good graces. Not bad people. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, Israel still feels the same way to this very moment. Surely we don't, do we? That we're so benighted that we think that God is looking for a bunch of good people to be His. Well, He's going to have to look a long time because there are none good. No, not one. Not you. Not me. Not Jonah. Not Israel. No. God does not save on the basis of human goodness. He saves on the basis of his sovereign compassion. And he distributes that as he 
wills. Is that okay with you? Folks, Jesus has died for sinners of all shapes and sizes and colors. And that's what this book is about. It's not a book about a great fish. It's a book about a great God and His willingness to save the undeserving. You know, Jonah knew so much about God but was so out of touch with him. Just like the elder brother. But surely that couldn't be true of me, could it? You know, um, Israel didn't want to Israel didn't want to be used of God, but she was. People like Paul, who was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Israel didn't want to be used, but she was. She was used by God to get a message to people like us. Gentiles. Not good people. not only that out of Israel came a savior who is Christ the Lord that's not such a bad ending after all is it Our Father, how grateful we are for a book that tells us these things about who you are and what you're like. And though we know much, forgive us if we are out of touch with you. Might you use the thud at the end of the book of Jonah to remind us of just what you're like. And use us, O God, to advance this gospel from pole to pole. Might it never be said to us that you care about things, but they're just not the things that I care about. We want to care about what you care about. Bring us into conformity with your mind. Father, if you brought people here today who have not yet met a Savior or met the Savior, would you cause them to see that the gospel is not intended to gather a bunch of good people in a building so that they can celebrate their goodness. The gospel is intended for people whose greatest need is for a Savior from their sin.
might those people who have not yet embraced him see him in all of his beauty today. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.